0: If I told you that there were just five things that you needed to prioritize today that will make you more capable of being a better man, better husband, and better father, is that something that you would be interested in? Yes. Okay. Me too, which is why I'm so pumped for what you are about to hear from today's guest, the one and only Dr. Eric Corum. Today, we cover the five pillars of adaptive capacity, what they are, how to apply them, and how they will make you a better man, husband, and dad today. Welcome to the Dad the Man podcast. If you want more influence with your kids, connection with your wife, and purpose in your life, then you are in the right place. We share conversations with the world's greatest, as well as lessons from the Bible and my own personal experiences. I'm Brendan Wall, and I'm your host. I am married with four kids. I am not the guy with all the answers, but I am in search of them. I want to personally thank you for being here. It's an honor to have you. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. What we have today is a conversation with the one and only Dr. Eric Coram. He is a sports scientist with a PhD who has worked in sports performance with various college and NFL football teams, Olympic athletes, and the U.S. Department of Defense. He is now the CEO of a company called AIM7, which takes the data from your wearables, like an Apple Watch, a Garmin, a Whoop, or a ring, etc. And it actually tells you what to do with it. You don't just say, oh, I didn't recover so well last night. I'm just gonna go on with my workout plan. It actually helps you adapt with the data that your wearable is collecting. And All of this is designed to get you in better shape, to stop burning out, to turn stress into strength, to improve your adaptive capacity, and to make you a more capable husband and dad. It's super cool stuff. I actually use the app myself, and I love it. I think it's really tremendous. So check out the link in the show notes to sign up. So without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Eric Corum. Hi, guys. Here we go. Back on the show with another amazing guest today. With us today, the one and only Dr. Eric Corum. I am so excited for this conversation because of the work this guy does. Now, I was just telling him before we went live, I I, I found this guy's work um, at a very interesting time in my life where I found myself in this position where, honestly, just the stress from all the good things in my life has kind of taken their toll on me to an extent where I've just found myself short fused um, angry at little things that I shouldn't be um, a lot of it's my own doing um, but he's got this framework that he's put together the five pillars for of adaptive capacity and he was saying before it's kind of his his life's work and I think this is something that all parents, need. So w- what I'm so excited to dive into today is that get to know Eric a little bit. And then uh, yeah, man. We're, so Eric, welcome to the show. So excited to have you. I'm gonna stop rambling. Come on in.
1: <laughs> Brenda, thank you for, for bringing me on. I think we I think we have a lot in common. And uh, I'm I'm just very thankful for the opportunity to speak to other fathers out there about, you know, stress and whatever else we get into, because it's pervasive. And if we don't get a handle on it, uh it, it'll impact our you know us and and the people that we love the most.
0: Yes, absolutely. So before we do get into it, can you lay your your dad stats on the table for us? How long you've been married, what kind of like how many kids oh, you got?
1: Like lay it all gosh. out for us here. Coming up on 15 years this nice. January, um planning out a, a, a really cool vacation. So my mom and dad have already uh lined up for that one. Uh we have three boys uh, eleven, seven, and three—all born in three different states because of my coaching career, we were all over the place. And so uh, you got a good range there. S- oh yeah, uh, all four years apart. Um, my wife is a physical therapist. She's a brown belt in jujitsu and an all-world softball player. That's how we met. She was at Mississippi State playing softball, and so. She can beat me up in every single way. <laughs> uh, so I have to mind my P's and Q's. Yeah. <laughs> you don't
0: mess with people who know jujitsu.
1: No, no. She'll just throw me or choke me. <laughs> it's like the old
0: universal rule of high school is don't pick a fight with the anybody on the wrestling team. Because you're going to
1: Cauliflower ears. You just walk away. You just take <laughs> the insult and walk away.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, no. That's, a, that's awesome. Thanks for laying that out for us. Mm-hmm. And then part two of the, our quick intro. Tell us a little bit about you. Who you are? What you do? How do you introduce yourself? Maybe you like you're at a cocktail party, at a little league game, yeah. whatever it may be, and says somebody says, "Hey, what do you do for a living?"
1: Yeah, I help people look, feel, and perform their best. Um, my background, you know, I spent over 16 years in the NFL, working in college football as a human performance coach and sports scientist. I guess you could say, you know, the pivoting or pivotal moment in my career. Uh, in 2011, I pioneered the use of athlete wearable tracking technology in American football help open a multi-billion dollar market there for sports wearables and data. So a lot of NFL fans out there, you ever seen a game where like your favorite player like, Oh, they're running 20 miles an hour down the field. That's the technology they pioneered here in the U S and, um, went on to, I, I did that when I was at Florida state, then went on to university, of Kentucky, I was running high performance there and got a PhD. And I really wanted to study this. And this kind of leads to the adaptive capacity thing. I had also worked for about 14 years in Olympic track and field. So I trained multiple Olympic gold medalists in the short sprint events. And um, I noticed that whether you were an elite sprinter, an NFL football player, whatever, they all had this commonality. That we were actually able to measure biologically how they were able to adapt to mental and physical stress. And we did this with some sophisticated instrumentation, but we're like the best in the world could, like, you could hammer them. And then the next day, they were like, nothing happened. They were just the yeah. same as they were the day before. Now, eventually, over time, compounding stress with anybody it could debilitate you. But these folks would just, compared to their teammates, it was like, what in the world's going on? So we w- really wanted to understand, like, how do you build this capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost? Because if you think about anything you do in life, let's say in sports, the athlete that can rep their sport with the most precision and the most intense environments over time is going to get better. Um, if you want to get better at work or upskill yourself, you need to be able to deliberately engage in, in learning and then adapt to it if you want to improve your fitness you got to deliberately engage in the stress of exercise and then adapt if you don't adapt that's when you get sick you get injured you have mental or physical health issues and so we started understanding the 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 process of adaptation and um, how to build this capacity to take on more stress with less cost yeah so that that
0: introduces an interesting thought i think um the, the adaptation component of it, because mm-hmm. I think most people, it, well, if you think about what that word means, like, if you think about stress being a component of it, I think most people would assume stress is bad. But if the game is really to increase our capacity to adapt to the stress, then stress is going to be required in that. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, about why stress may not necessarily be this terrible thing that we should all be afraid of?
1: Yeah, so a good friend of mine, Dr. Alex Arbach, he's uh, actually an advisor for my company, AIM-7. We met, he's a director of wellness and development for the Toronto Raptors. So the cool thing about being a sport is you just meet some really smart folks, right? Make you feel yeah. dumb. Um, <laughs> but he says that stress is our brain and our body preparing us to do something effortful. I love the way that he phrases that. And here's why. When the stress systems are turned on, uh, let's the the HPA axis, the sympathetic nervous system, they're preparing you to do difficult things. If I got to get up and give a speech in front of 10,000 people, you know, my heart rate's going to go up. I'm going to start sweating a little bit. My pupils are going to die. I'm gonna be able to focus my attention, right? Mm-hmm. The body's preparing me to do that. Or let's say I've got to um, go play a football game. Or when I trained a football player, an NFL player, right? They've got to go put a helmet on and go physically take somebody on one-on-one. To do that, your systems have to get amped up. Well, that's what stress is. The problem is is when you can't turn these systems off. And when you experience um, what I call the low-grade fever of stress, this chronic stress, that in your body and it exceeds your capacity to adapt to it, mm-hmm. That's when you get sick and you have these issues. So in order for any physiological system to change, it needs a stressor. That that is what the body is designed to do. Is it an adaptation machine? The nervous system, the way God designed this is like you watch your little kids, right? They're like laying in the ground and then all of a sudden they like start getting up and they're without going too deep into neurophysiology, there's something called functional systems, right? So Mm -hmm. your little kid like kind of gets up and tries to take a couple steps and falls down. And then there's these feedback loops that tell the brain and the body like, no, that little thing wasn't right. Let's re-coordinate it. And all of a sudden it starts, it's adapting to the environment through stress. And so stress isn't the enemy. It's actually the gateway to growth. Mm. Like, The key is the right dose of stress Plus the right dose of rest equals adaptation and the
0: dosage is really important. Okay. So this is, this is massive because when you think about like the life of a parent in general, oh geez, (laughs) I mean, like think about like, it's all good, right? Can we frame it through the lens of like, it's It's all all good, good Good things. uh, Let's just say good things don't always come easy. So there's some, there's some stress that can be associated with it. Um, I think there's a tendency, maybe it's a human nature to protect ourselves from Mm. the stress that we feel. And I I would imagine that's probably where vices come into play. That's Mm. where you might like, I know for me, like I was telling you, I found myself in that place where I was just chronically stressed. And I think I was numbing a lot of that down. Just, I mean, just scrolling on social media, maybe it's having a drink, maybe it's doing these things. And I think now that I'm thinking about it, like in this conversation, I was probably doing myself a massive disservice to focus more on maybe numbing the stress that I felt rather than embracing it and making sure that I had a proper recovery plan for it. Mm. Uh, what would your take be on that?
1: Man, these are great questions. Uh, these, this, Let me just say this. I want to pay you a compliment, Brendan. Like you, You're you an excellent interviewer and you think through things very well. <laughs> I, uh, I think having personal experience really helps. So here's the way I like to think about it. And, I, and I'll give you like this adaptation, like, so you have a gas tank. Okay. in your car, and as long as your car is in working order, as long as you have enough gas, you're going to get to your destination, right? Mm-hmm. That gas tank represents how much capacity you have to adapt to stress. You can make that tank bigger over time. Now, how much fuel you wake up with in the morning is your readiness or your adaptation fuel, And so there are certain things that fill up the tank and certain things that drain the tank. And we can kind of talk about that here in a second, but yes, like when you're going through a stressful, first of all, let's just, this may ruffle some feathers, but I hated this in sports. Like just be mentally tough, you know, like just, you should tough it out. Like nobody is tough to everything. I have been a subcontractor for certain Special operations units. Like, look, if you go take a a Navy SEAL or let's just take an Army Ranger that's never jumped out of a plane like that, let's say they went through qualification school and they made it, but they'd never gone to airborne training. And I took you up in a plane and I put a parachute on your back and I put you at the door of the plane and said, all right, jump. Do you think they're going to have a stress response? They're gonna flip out. They're gonna yeah. lose it, right? Cause I'm gonna die. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a second, just be tough. No, I've yeah. never experienced this. I haven't been trained for it. So what do they do? They take you to Fort Bedding, Georgia, and they take you to jump school and they inoculate you to that stress. They start you with like low, like like 10 feet. You're jumping off, you're learning how to roll and fall, and it just kind of works its way up. And then they have these massive towers. They take you up and you float your way down. They take you up. And then after, I think it's three weeks, then you go start jumping out of a plane by yourself, but you are inoculated to that stress. So whenever like increasing your tolerance, right? Is that the idea? Yeah. Yeah. It's like increasing your bandwidth for that stress. Yeah. So you shouldn't be surprised that when you're a new parent and it feels a little overwhelming, it's not because you're mentally weak. It's not because you're flawed. It's because it's a new stress. So there are the, we'll talk about these five pillars, but these five pillars specifically, some of them can have crossover adaptation. Like they can help you cross over, but you have to know that there's going to be a period of time where you might feel overwhelmed. Yeah. And you mix in sleep deprivation with that and everything gets exponentially worse. Mm -hmm. So what you have to do is you have to create a rhythm of your life of rest, uh, where it's like, even if it's small periods, minutes, Uh, periods where we can um, deliberately engage in practices that refill the tank, Mm -hmm. Uh, non-sleep deep rest, make sure we're getting plenty of sunlight for circadian anchoring. We can talk about all these things. You can create the conditions for adaptation. Yep. And so you can be inoculated to that stress. So I just want everybody out there to know, like when you face something brand new, you take a new job and you feel like overwhelmed a little bit. It's totally fine. It's totally normal.
0: Yes, I'm so glad that you hit that because i that's the thing that like I want to highlight that that's not a character flaw. Maybe it means no. there's maybe it means there's room to grow, but it doesn't mean that like you should already be at the end result of like where you're trying to grow to. There's a there's a quote that comes to mind and I've referenced this on the show before, but now it's like it, it's got a whole new meaning for me, but it comes from a pastor, Stephen Furtick out of South Carolina. And he says your tolerance for tension uh determines your capacity for growth. And I think that plays very well into this theme that we're talking about. And two, I want to hit that um, the example of the Navy SEAL. Um, because I think there's a comparison aspect that we probably play play. And I say we probably play because I caught myself playing this game we follow these guys on social media we follow the guy that just hammers the discipline 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 and yes there's a benefit to that but that guy didn't start there the the navy seal didn't start jumping out of okay the let's support. just say
1: what it is the david goggins mindset is can actually it's actually can be incredibly destructive um i'm actually putting out a youtube video on the four <laughs> stress mindsets that alex taught me But the David Goggins mindset of just be hard, you know, like, yeah, just be hard. Like for the individual, that can be great. Those type of people typically make terrible teammates because they look at you in a condescending way. Mm -hmm. Like, why aren't you just hard? Well, David, like, why don't I go throw you in such some random situation that you've never been in? Like here, David,
0: change, change my kid's diapers while they're screaming. Yeah. First I, time I,
1: it's, it's, it's tough. It's really hard. Yeah. And you know that that whole mindset can be very destructive. Um, Sorry to cut you off. No, no.
0: That point of who's it good for that,
1: that person me,
0: that is, it's good for that person. Now, now here's the thing. I, I will take guys like that in, in doses and say like, when I need that salt stick of motivation to get yeah. myself moving in the morning, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll let David Goggins yell at me through my earbuds in the morning, like Andy
1: Elliott. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. The sales guy, like a lot of him, like completely repulses me, but like every once in a while I hear something, I'm like, that's good. Like just suck it up. Right. Like there are points of discipline as an adult, as a man, as a father, Uh, you know, for me as a Christian, like, Hey, look, there's this, like, I don't like look discipline yourself with your phone. Don't look at pornography. Mm-hmm. If you have a struggle with it, put something on your phone to stop it. If you need help, like get in the fight. Now that's where the David Goggins mindset, like, have you even started fighting yet? <laughs> like, if, if you know, it's wrong, like, have you really actually tried? Yeah. Like, get in the fight. Now that, that to me is like a call to higher living. Yeah. But like, to just like, to just say that, like, you know, toughen up when something's really, really hard, sometimes that's just not an appropriate way to go about it. Right. Not in
0: a sustainable way, at least. I mean, I found myself like kind of just diving right into that and going with it. And then I do feel burnt out. And then I'm playing that comparison game. And I am saying, oh my gosh, I couldn't handle this. Why did I burn out? But these guys can do it. And like, I've gone through that cycle. It's it's, It's the call to higher living, but also recognizing that you don't start You don't start at the top. You have to start at the bottom and then adapt over time to get there. Yeah,
1: and then there's still going to be rough times. Yeah.
0: Everybody goes through it. All right, fellas. I want to jump in real quick and interject a thought that I had. As I was listening back, I realized that I misarticulated a point that I really want to make. And the one thing I want to clarify here as, as I jump back in is to make sure that I am crystal clear when I say that discipline is a great thing. Discipline is not something for us to be afraid of. It's not something for us to be, to shy away from. Discipline is, it's foundational. It's paramount. It's like the cheat code in life and helping us get from where we are today to where we want to go. In any avenue, in any walk of life, in our personal development, in our spiritual development, in our career development, wherever we want to go, discipline is going to be the skill that we need to get to where we want to go. It's consistency over intensity. And that's the point that I think I really misarticulated. So what I've fallen victim to is seeing the guy on social media who is at the level 100 version of where I want to go, and I might not be there yet, right? So I come out too hot out of the gate, and a lot of times I just burn out because I'm not ready to go full speed yet. And then I play the comparison game of, oh my gosh, why did I burn out? When really there's nothing wrong with me, I just haven't committed to the process long enough to build my skill set to get up to that level 100 version of whatever it is that I'm pursuing. This is the example that Dr. Eric is talking about with jumping out of the helicopter, right? You don't start by jumping out of the helicopter. You start by jumping off the two-foot platform, and you work your way up. You build up. It's consistency over time. You don't start with 100% intensity. You build up over time, and that's what's the most important thing, and the returns on that consistency that that's what compounds. And that's the skill of discipline. That's how you get to where you want to go in any avenue of life. So you know, if I was going to give you another example, I, you know, I have buddies that come to me all the time. And, you know, some of them, maybe they've never worked out before, they've never really cooked their own meals, but they say, Hey, I want to get in shape, where do I start? Well, the worst thing that I can do, what I've learned, is to give them the level 100 version of everything that I know. And that w- really would help them if they implement it. But what happens in that scenario is, one, they get overwhelmed. Two, if they stick with it, they stick with it for about two weeks and then they burn out. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, they're back to where they were. And, you know, it, they've, they've yo-yoed up and then they've yo-yoed down. What serves that person much better is if you can help them start stacking small habits, small wins. And over time, they grow and they crescendo. First, they learn that they need to move. They need to walk. They need to cook a better breakfast today than they did yesterday. And there's this crescendo, this buildup as their discipline builds, their consistency builds. And then they look back a year later and they're down 30 pounds. And they've got all this momentum and they're building muscle and they're feeling good and they're looking good. And that is the beauty of discipline. And that's really the point that I wanted to articulate here or or that's the first point that I wanted to articulate. The second point I wanted to nail home real quick, and I just want to bring this up because we've got an opportunity here because it came up in conversation and I didn't add a lot of color, but it's this idea of who is it good for? Well, At face value, discipline itself, I would make the argument all day long that it is good for you, it's good for your family, it's good for your community, it's good for everybody that you come in contact with, it's good for the world for you to be a more disciplined individual, for sure. The nuance comes in when, you know, the things that we are disciplined with, they no longer serve us, but we serve them, and it comes at the expense of things that mean more to us, so let's use the workaholic as an example to this the guy who works his tail off he's very disciplined in his career he's chasing his dreams he's making money he's doing the things he needs to do but when he comes home he's so dang stressed out and he's overwhelmed and he can't get his head out of his his inbox and his to-do list that so he's distracted and he's not a good dad he's not a good husband he's just distracted he's overwhelmed he's stressed at that point that discipline is it serving him anymore or is he serving it and, and so when we think about who is it good for, that's the color around that point that I want to articulate. So you can be the guy who's the most disciplined person in the world in your career or in any other area of life. But if it's costing you, if it's costing you value of the things that mean more to you at the end of the day, the things that will mean more to you at the end of your life, then maybe that's something worth considering. And then the third point, if you need that kick in the pants, if you need that call to a higher living, that inspiration, that motivation, that person to follow that is going to lift you up, David Goggins, Andy Elliott, those are two good guys to do it. If that's what you're looking for, give those dudes a follow. All right. That's enough rambling for me. Let's jump right back into it. Yes. Yeah. So how do we do that? So for the dad, that's like, Mm. you know, he's thinking, gosh, my, my fuse is short. I uh, feeling like I'm, I'm I'm frustrated and you know, maybe I'm I'm overstressed and I'm not being the dad I want to be. I'm not uh, you know, being the husband that I want to be. Mm-hmm. And I and and we they recognize based on what we've outlined, what you've outlined so far, that they need to increase their adaptive capacity to handle the stressors that are coming their way. Can you can you break down the five pillars for us and help
1: help that guy? Help me hand raised. Yeah. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, so there's five pillars for building adaptive capacity. And when I list these things out, you're going to be like, well, duh. But it's sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships. And pardon me, we can go as deep as you want into each one of these things, but the scientific literature is pretty clear. That if you engage in these things at a certain threshold, not only are they going to improve your longevity, you're going to live longer, uh, but they also improve your ability to adapt to stress. You become more resilient, and each one for different reasons. And so, where would you like to start? Uh, let's
0: man, let's start at the top. I I, I think sleep <laughs> is probably um, the, the the most, I guess, obvious. But here here's the nuance, that, the angle I'd like to hit this for for mm-hmm. the dads listening is and this is i think ties back to what we were just talking about but we hear okay we got to sleep better is is it realistic that a dad with a newborn or a dad with young kids that are coming in in the middle of the night is gonna get the perfect eight and a half hours that's perfectly blended between their deep their rem and their light and they're not waking up and there's no disturbances and they look at their whoop in the morning and they say damn it i failed again (laughs) like can we can we can, can we nuance nuance it through that lens for that? Yeah, yeah. So let,
1: let's just start with this. First of all, um, huh, I just got a rant for just give me one minute to rant on this. One. My PhD was in sleep research. Okay. The, the deep rim and all that is complete baloney. The research on that is so like those devices are trying to proxy using actigraphy for something that is done with polysomnography and eye movement two totally different things. So even the aura ring is the best one out there is 79% accurate. So I just had a Kathy Goldstein, who's a neurologist and sleep expert at the university of Michigan. She's like referenced by the New York times, by the Washington post. And she was, we were talking, I was like, Kathy, why are these people reporting this? She's like, it's it's a bunch of baloney. Like we don't even, you can't even proxy for it. So first of all, don't look at that. Look at how long you slept when you went to bed, but
0: can I can I ask one question on that? But yeah. before before you jump back in, yeah. so my thought is I've heard that it's not like it's it's not what it's cracked up to be necessarily. No. Is it fair to assume that there like the the point of relativity would be fair to say like over no. time if you're looking is that still like it's just not a good it,
1: enough? like so if it's so what you're saying is, is is if it's always inaccurate it's consistently inaccurate and you can look at it out as a trend line. Yeah. Um it's not stable enough yet because it's exactly. using actigraphy, which is movement. But what is accurate based off of movement is when you went to bed, when you woke up and the consistency So like the con- duration onset and consistency, which we can talk about, those are the three big things, mm-hmm. but why is it important to get great sleep? You know, restoration of your immune system. That's when your body creates immunological memory, which means like during deep sleep, um, your immune system actually remembers the foreign invaders that it fought during the day. And then next time they come in, it can eradicate them really quickly. That's as make as simple as possible right there. Uh, endocrine system for males specifically, most of our testosterone is released during REM sleep. And so as you age, fragmented sleep and sleep duration, you can actually accurately predict somebody's waking testosterone level based off of how much sleep they got. And as a guy, like after the age of 30, your testosterone naturally declines one to 2% per year. But if you, you know, resistance train, do other things, you can slow it down. But if you just sleep, deprive yourself to less than five hours of sleep a night for just one week, you age yourself in the terms of uh, testosterone by over a decade. Wow. It's wild.
0: Wow. Wow. And so stepping over dollars to pick up pennies for whatever the heck you're getting up for man.
1: (laughs) So everybody's going after TRT when it's like, just fix your sleep. So let's, you know, I don't, the other thing I would say too is from a brain health perspective, the rest of your body has this thing called the lymphatic system where it's kind of this metabolic drainage system. Your brain doesn't have that, but about 10 or 15 years ago, we found that the brain has something called the glymphatic system. What happens is, is during deep sleep, Um, the brain actually flushes out metabolic waste products. So cerebrospinal fluid goes up in the brain, kind of sloshes around and starts getting drained out. And it pulls out these toxins like beta amyloid, tau proteins, which are associated with things like Alzheimer's disease and dementia. So what happens is we're seeing a precipitous incline in things like Alzheimer's disease. And we're also seeing a rapid decline in sleep duration. Well, if this system is only active during sleep, you start to understand why we're having more you know neurodegenerative issues because people aren't sleeping enough their brains aren't actually detoxifying themselves these proteins are building up and we're having tons of issues um growth hormone is also released during sleep you know sleep regulates your hunger hormones leptin and ghrelin so people that are sleep deprived consistently eat about 400 extra calories a day think about how many pounds you're adding on so Let's how, much, just, how
0: much sleep do we need?
1: Like what's that's the, a great if, question. If somebody
0: says, how much do I need? And yeah. maybe like one, two, three. What can I do that's going to help me do that? You, like, get You, that you jumped
1: ahead. I love this. I love the practicality. <laughs> the three things you need to focus on. So I'll tell you the three sleep behaviors and then how you create the conditions for them. Okay. Duration, seven to nine. I don't get nine. I don't even get eight. I'm in the seven to seven and a half hour range. I, I operate best at seven and a half. Now, when you have kids... Um, there's some things that you can do during the day to catch up a little bit. Naps. Uh, short 20 to 30 minute naps. I highly recommend it. Uh, don't sleep for longer than 60 or 90 minutes. You'll get something called sleep inertia, which will totally wreck the rest of your day. It's, it's, it's like you ever taken a nap and you woke up at six 30 at night and you're like, where am I? Am I in another universe? You know, been about a decade, but I have. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's awful. Uh, it's been a long time for me too, but, um, short naps really short. Even if it's 15 minutes, if you just close your eyes in your office, uh, you will get a significant boost in cognitive performance. You'll be less moody. You'll be able to make better decisions. It is a superpower. 15 minutes, just close your eyes and relax. Uh, you can do a body scan. Uh, so we have these in our app, but like basically you can just you can Google it too. And it's a form of of hypnosis in a way, where you actually go through your body and you just relax and you're strategically relaxing muscles. It's a really good way to allow the mind to rest. Uh, but duration is critical, seven to nine. The research is very clear, sleeping less than or more than that duration leads to increased risk of type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and actually shortens your lifespan by up to 24%. The next is onset. So when you go to bed matters, people are like, well, if I go to bed at one and wake up at nine, is that the same thing as going to bed at 10 and waking up at six? No, it is not. There was a study done by Harvard and MIT and the university of Colorado with over 800,000 people in the UK biobank, they use 23 me genetic data, sleep trackers. Long story short, they found this. People that go to bed earlier and wake up earlier have significantly less risk of depression. So just by shifting your onset back one hour, they found there was a 23% reduction of the risk of major depression. Wow. Shifting it back two hours, there was a 40% reduction. And I'm going to give you the mechanism for why that happens in just a second. And then the last one is consistency. And this is probably the biggest one that people struggle with. And I would say if you could get good with this first, you'll see massive changes in your energy level. If you have a different sleep routine, let's say Monday through Thursday or Sunday night through Thursday night than you do Friday and Saturday, you will end up with something called social jet lag. Social jet lag is exactly what it sounds like. It's like jet lag on a plane. So if you typically go to bed at 11 and wake up at 630 in the morning or whatever, and then the weekend comes and you're going to bed at midnight, waking up at eight and you do that for two nights and then you try to get back. You're, you're going to feel terrible on Monday morning. You have an increased risk of cardiometabolic disease, depression, weight gain. It's try to be as consistent with your sleep routine as possible yes it takes more discipline and look if you have a date night or something like that like be a freaking human but like don't beat yourself up or but 90 of the time keep a consistent sleep routine so the next question is is how do i actually like great thanks dr eric like for telling me i need to sleep more <laughs> like how do you create the conditions for this well if you go back to that study that i previously mentioned they found that, first of all, that the whole point of the study was to see, like, genetically, is there a difference between or- morning and evening type people? You know, people are like, oh, I'm an evening person. Mm-hmm. Genetically, only 9% of people are actually an evening person. Hmm. That's a lot more than I would have guessed. We make ourselves evening people because of our phones and because of and television. We are the only animals in the world that sleep deprive ourselves.
0: Is that like, dopamine addiction? Is that like the root of it?
1: No, it's just, um, I mean, uh, well, it's just stimulation, man. Like yeah. you watch it. Like I could be tired. Like we've all done it, right? You're tired, you get in bed. You're like, ah, I'm just going to take a minute and just get on Instagram or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're wide awake and everybody's like, oh, it's the blue light, you know? It's actually yes, light does is an alerting signal, which we'll talk about in a second, but it's the emotional stimulation. Yeah. You watch a really funny video, next thing you're laughing, you're sending it to your wife, or you get like really pissed off, or whatever. You see something on XYZ news channel and you're like, what in the world's going on with our world? And then your mind's going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, or you you get hooked into some great TV show. And I'm then you can't go to bed. That. Yeah. We're we're all we all do it. So the people in that study that went to bed earlier and woke up earlier had more exposure to light. And so the, the first thing we learned in my doctoral work about sleep is there's two processes that drive sleep. There's a homeostatic process, which is driven biochemically, which means in the morning you wake up, you feel great. As the day goes on, something called adenosine accumulates, mm-hmm. which makes you tired. Are you drinking coffee right now? I am. Yeah, so that coffee uh, binds to adenosine receptors and makes you feel more alert. When the when the caffeine starts to when the half life caffeine well, starts to degrade in your system, adenosine mm-hmm. you know oh comes more awake and now you feel tired again. Yep. The other part is a circadian process. And circadian means about 24 hours. And your circadian clock is anchored by environmental cues, of which light is the primary cue. What happens is, is when you see very bright light outside, inside doesn't, it's not bright enough, it sends a signal to the thing called the suprachiasmatic nucleus or the SCN. It's your circadian pacemaker. It sits above the roof of your mouth. That then sends a signal to every cell in your body through increasing temperature and spiking cortisol that it's time to be awake and alert. It also impacts melatonin production. So as a busy parent, maybe you are got a child, it's a baby, get as much sunlight exposure as you can in the morning. It's going to make you feel more alert. You know how like when you're kind of in the doom world of baby land and it's like you're in this dark dark, dungeon you know (laughs) get outside you will feel more alert also um uh the more sunlight exposure you have during the day it actually leads to more melatonin secretion at night which makes you more sleepy so that when your child finally goes to bed you can pass out yep so just anchoring yourself with five to ten minutes of bright sunlight exposure even if it's cloudy outside do that that is the number one behavior number two is if sun if light is an alerting signal during the morning it's also an alerting signal in the evening so when the sun goes down just start dampening the lights in your house because your brain's going to keep getting these signals that it's it's time to be awake it's time to be awake you just want to start dimming things down so that's what i would say that was a whole thing on sleep right there that was a lot
0: that's so good. So I've got as the, as the key takeaways, let's start with consistency. We need yeah. seven to nine hours. Do everything you can to go to bed early enough. Turn off the Netflix when you can so that you can actually get the seven, at least the seven hours. Yeah. And see the sun in the morning, during the day, turn the lights off at night.
1: That's it. If, you, if people did that for a couple of weeks, you would feel ridiculously better. You're okay. going to be messaging us being like amazing and it was free (laughs) zero cost um Uh, that's so good
0: can can we hit the i want to i want to hit exercise too and i want to hit it from um you know like i think someone who may be uh less experienced with exercise Mm -hmm. someone who's not you know dedicated to a certain craft or or dedicated to the uh, from a professional standpoint or I would say an extreme hobbyist or weekend warrior, someone who's really just trying to stay in shape as as a dad, they're fighting the dad bod. Uh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, I mean, talk about a, an area of overwhelming information. Where the heck do I start? What do I actually need to do? Does it matter what I actually do? Like, I know that those are the thoughts in people's heads. So like, regardless of what someone is going to do, can you just kind of give like your, your thoughts on like, here's what we need. It's one of the pillars. So it's critically important. Yeah. What, what, do we, what box do we need to check with the exercises? I guess the ultimate question.
1: Yeah. Let me give you a little physiology and then I'll give you the boxes. Um, there's something called a cross stressor adaptation. So here's the cool thing. When you exercise, exercise deliberately turns on the stress systems. Stress is, and then turn, and stress then turns is not them, a bad thing, right? That's what Right. We're not a bad thing. And then it turns them off. So you are deliberately turning the dial up and the dial down, which is really cool. So it actually impacts your ability to turn these systems on and off, and it has general applications to psychological stress. It can make you globally more resilient. Okay. So that's a really cool benefit. Um, So the World Health Organization Department of Health and Human Services has identified like some key things, and the research is playing out to support this. The first thing, let's just start. I have three categories. Number one is activity. You need to move. So everybody's like ten thousand steps. The key, well, that was that's all. That's a whole another thing. That was actually a marketing campaign from the nineteen sixties for a pedometer out of Japan called the <laughs> Manco 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 Pie, which translated means ten thousand steps meter. Yeah. It's pretty wild. <laughs> The, there's The research shows that around seven to 8,000 steps is when you start to see an increase in longevity. If you don't move enough, it is very dangerous for your health. Like less than 4,000 is like a, a significant risk to your health and longevity. So number one, if you're doing nothing right now, I would start with movement. At least 7,000, I would shoot for 8,000 steps a day. There's some really cool research coming out of coils lab at university of Texas that shows that <laughs> this is really sucky, by the way, <laughs> if you exercise, but you don't walk enough during the day, your body doesn't have the same physiological responses and you don't get the same benefits. So just doing a st- exercise stimulus doesn't cover up for not moving, being a couch potato or just sitting at your desk.
0: That's a massive point. Cause that probably nails 90% of people who sit at a desk most of the day and are asleep when they're not. And they, Wiggle the workout in somewhere outside of those hours,
1: and they don't. And they're like, "Why? We're, why is my body just... not changing? Why is my cholesterol still high?" You can go read the research. So here's what I do: I'm a busy dad. I'm a entrepreneur that's grinding. You know, I mean, it's hard right now. I get up at around five forty-five in the morning, also in bed at nine something, and I go for a thirty-minute walk first thing in the morning, and I try to. Look, I'm not into these crazy routines of walking out, waking up, and journaling and breath work uh, with, you know, 20 minutes of breath work and all this kind of stuff, and then run into the ocean and stare at Venus and all that kind of craziness. (laughs) Um, But what I do is I make it, I I walk for 30 minutes. I usually listen to some praise and worship music. I'll maybe listen to a sermon. I'll pray. I'll think about, you know, all these different things that I'm doing to mentally get myself ready. And I'm also walking. So I knock out a bunch of steps first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. um now let's move to the actual exercise uh aerobic exercise or i would just say heart rate elevated exercise you need at least 150 to 300 minutes a week so it can come in a lot of different forms it really doesn't matter whatever gets your heart rate up if you like to play pickleball for an hour and that's that's 60 minutes boom that actually may get you into the vigorous category so Lower intensity exercise for every one minute, it's one minute of credit. If you do like high intensity work for every one minute, you get two minutes of credit. Okay? okay. So if you did 150 minutes of high intensity work, that gets you your 300. You're in the upper limit. You crushed it. That would be the next thing I would check off. It could be bike riding, elliptical, whatever. And then you need at least one, I would say, two total body strengthening sessions a week. And it needs to, you know, it it has to be intense enough to elicit mechanical adaptation. You actually have to strain. Now, that's relative to where you are. If you are just starting out on a fitness journey, it could be your body weight. Then it could be bands. And then it could be just dumbbells and kettlebells. And then finally, does it matter if it's machines or if it's free weights? No. And any guru out there that tries to tell you any different does not understand the scientific literature and does not have a fundamental understanding of human physiology, and they're trying to sell you something. So, But it has to be intense enough to elicit a mechanical change. Yep. And so if you get the 150 to 300 minutes of heart rate elevated exercise and you get two total body strengthening sessions a week, you lower your risk of all-cause mortality by 47% that is bang that's huge bang for your buck folks like <laughs> like guys like start walking more and it doesn't have to be all in one day like the key to long term health change is not intensity it's consistency so start so small good. yep and then just like slowly increase over time this is the the same analogy
0: as the uh, the, the the navy seal jumping out of the plane yeah. You don't start by jumping out of the plane. You start by, you know, doing the, the, the one step jump.
1: That's how and, you get burnt out. That's how you get injured. And that's how you lose complete motivation. Sorry, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, there's just, there's nothing worse than getting fired up for a program that you're not. Adapt, adapted for like you're not ready for it and then in two weeks you've got tendinitis in both elbows and your knees hurt and you like yeah. you end up not sleeping well <laughs> and then you're like well, what the hell i did yeah. i did what the guy on the internet said to do it didn't work yeah. damn it. it didn't work for me yeah it didn't work for me i've been there i spent a lot of money doing that <laughs> yeah it, uh, it, you know it is what it is
1: i uh I actually, i'll actually give this to you i don't know when this is going to air but i just wrote a five-part email course on stopping exercise burnout i went on so many shows and so many people were like dude i've hit a wall i was like okay so i just wrote this is i literally bought the domain stop exercise (laughs) burnout.com and i wrote an email course so we could put it in the show notes of somebody's experience that uh it's free uh but absolutely uh, i got it for like I just started Googling, like, what are all the burnouts I could buy? And I got them for like six bucks. So I'm like, geez, this is crazy. Um, and now with technology, you can have a landing page done in like 10 minutes. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a major problem. It's a it's a it's a serious issue that a lot of people run up against because they don't know how to slowly titrate. Um, they're like, Oh, I got let me just tell you this one other thing. I got this plan, right? The trainer gave it to me. Research shows only a third of people get better a third stay the same and a third get worse <laughs> even with a structured plan. And there's a very specific reason for that because they are not matching how much stress they can handle with what their body's ready for It's your capacity, your capacity. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fundamental principle. When you, when you understand that it's an unlock. Yeah. So, okay. So
0: that takes us through exercise. So I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, it's, it's walking, it's getting some, Getting some higher intensity where you can get your heart rate up a bit higher, and then lifting weights. That's to, it. And, and and not massive doses of any of them is, are required. You can scale up, but start where you are. Use what you got. Start
1: where you are. Scale up over time. People that do exercise more live longer. But look, if you did that and you got a forty-seven percent increase in your longevity, like your a risk reduction, in risk of dying, like hey. That's high five. We're all doing great.
0: Take that medicine and go like, come on. Yeah. That, yeah. Okay. So that covers exercise. Um, just, I mean, the, an- another bucket where I talk about just information, the overload is nutrition. Um, <laughs> thinking about that next. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, how do we'll you make
1: this really simple for people? Yeah, please do. And look, you like people that are like, you have to be keto. You have to be this, you have to be that. Like, I'm not into all that stuff. If you want to know the most researched quote diet out there and its impacts on longevity and health, the Mediterranean diet, which is essentially like whole grains, multicolored fruits and vegetables, nuts, seeds, fish, healthy fats and oils like like that is like the most researched diet in the literature, but. Eating an anti-inflammatory diet, which is essentially in that bucket, has a significant impact on things like depression, systemic inflammation. That's what we're trying to do. Your food should be fuel, but highly processed palatable foods will inflame your, your, your body significantly. You're going to yeah. have joint pain. It's going to lead to things like cardiovascular disease. That food has been engineered to taste amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what sucks by yeah. the way, like, right. Doritos
0: like, are just so perfectly <sighs> crispy. it It's terrible.
1: Right. And look that stuff. I'm not saying don't have it. I'm yeah. saying have some of it in moderation, but here's the kind of the key things protein you need at least like, you know, 0. 0.75 grams per, per pound to one gram per pound is kind of an ideal range. It's yeah. going to help push back on things like sarcopenia, um, you want to maintain muscle. You want to build as much muscle as you can, guys. And I'm not talking about looking like a bodybuilder, but muscle is a metabolic sink. It's really hard to have bad, um, blood sugar and hot and whacked out, pro- uh, blood lipid profiles when you got a lot of muscle. Um, so eating protein with every meal is ide- ideal. Multicolored fruits and vegetables. Aim for at least five servings a day. The more colors you can consume at every meal, the better. I just tell people, eat the rainbow. There we go. Really simple. Uh, each one of these different colors has different impacts. I, I have some notes here, like yellow helps with brain function, green rejuvenate bones and muscles, orange, mucosal tissue lining. I mean, there's like, we could go into all this stuff for another time, but it's just protein. Every single meal, choose things that like, you know, I try to have fish a couple times a week because of the omega fatty acids. Um, but eat, eat eat what you can you're going to like and enjoy, yeah. you know, um, multicolored fruits and vegetables. Make sure you're getting seeds and nuts. Fat is OK for you. And for those people that are maybe carb phobic or whatever, a real simple way to look at this is just consume your carbohydrates around the time that you exercise if you kind of just followed these rules and make yep. sure you get enough fiber in your diet now fiber is directly related to um, all cause mortality you need at least 25 grams of fiber per day okay uh, as we get older guys we're gonna have to get you know colonoscopies and you don't want to have to deal with all that stuff and make I'd imagine sure you... you
0: probably hit that like if you're if, if your meals look like the protein and produce kind of like what you're talking about here colorful produce I'd imagine you probably get pretty close to the 25.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then if, and then if after you work out, you're having stuff like sweet potatoes or even just, and if you like, even if you want to supplement with a little psyllium husk fiber, not a bad idea, but like, look, like, like break open an orange, you're going to see all the fiber that's in there. Have an Mm -hmm. apple, have, you know, make a salad, throw a bunch of vegetables in there and just, you know, look, you may not like it, but you need to eat it. Uh, And you, there's ways to cook. Like for me, I make it real simple. On Sunday, I take bell peppers, mushrooms, onions, all kinds of stuff, and I just bake it. I have a huge bin.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, I, buy, I, I found this place where I get salmon steaks for cheap. Lunch, I literally just air fry a salmon steak, heat up the stuff, put it together. That's my lunch. I don't even have to think about it. I just yeah. spend like 15 minutes a week preparing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and i have yeah. an omelet almost every morning with vegetables in it and then after i work out that's when i'll have potatoes or whatever i feel like yeah yeah
0: yeah it's all it's a lot it's a lot simpler than uh than i think we want to believe that it is and i'm glad that you 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 phrased it the way that you did you know advocating for fruit there's a lot of people that have been told by bodybuilders trying to go from eight percent fat to four percent body fat that bananas are gonna are the worst thing they could possibly eat but i heard Napergazzi do this a little bit a hilarious comedian he said he was just talking about it, like this is kind of bullshit this whole bananas are bad for you thing he's like <laughs> show me your fat fruit friends please show yeah. me your fat fruit friends i can't i like i can't get that bit out of my head when i think about it i could just it kills me
1: that's very true i mean yeah i think it's i think that's really funny it's it's just a it's again typically to sell a product yeah yeah
0: so that's the thing we got to look out for um, I do want to hit mental fitness as well at the risk of potentially going over by a minute on our no. time. I want to hit mental fitness because I think this is one. I mean, they're all critically important. Yeah,
1: I'll tie so mental fitness point. and community together really okay. quick. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, The greatest there's like this myth that the best in the world don't experience uncomfortable thoughts, motions and feelings. Mm-hmm. And that is just completely false. Um, The greatest Olympic cyclist of all time, his name is Sir Chris Hoy. He's an eight-time Olympic medalist, um, a gold medalist. Uh, He is the greatest, like I said, of of all time. And when he said he articulated what it was like to race in the Olympic finals, he said it felt like he was going to the gallows. He was going to die. Yeah, This is like the greatest... (laughs) olympic cyclist of all time yeah but then he would say he would like he let me let me say this if the outcome of an event is uncertain and important you should expect to feel uncomfortable Think about like right before your wife had a baby, you're like, oh my gosh, like what is about to happen, right? (laughs) Uh, Before you go give a big work presentation, if it's uncertain and important, you should expect to feel uncomfortable, but how you feel doesn't have to determine how you perform. So Mm, Chris talked about it, as he said, I would, he then would shift his attention to his butt in the seat, his grip on the steering wheel, his feet in the clips. What is he articulating here? He's articulating that he was able to harness his attention and take concerted action. So as my friend, Dr. Peter Haberl says, attention is the currency of performance. Mm-hmm. Every great performer, dad, whatever, wants to have – you want to have control of your attention because then you can make act take action anchored in your values. The worst thing ever is like when you blow up at your kids or your wife or whatever and you're like, that is not who I am. I feel awful. It's part of it is like, look, we're all going to make mistakes. And also it's like, you're not aware of where your head's at. And so you just spout stuff off. Or you would rather be able to be mentally fit. And what being mentally fit means is you're able to consciously be present and process information without bias. This enables you to respond with intentionality, with actions anchored in your values. Think about that. Now, how do you do this? Well, without going into like tons of different things, mindfulness is an amazing way to train your awareness. This isn't spiritual. This is a practice used by elite athletes, elite performers. It's very simple. It's not. There's nothing woo-woo about this. The, re- the research is pretty amazing. When you consistently engage in mindfulness practice, you actually get more enjoyment out of work because you're not task switching as enough as, as much like there's nothing more fulfilling than sitting down doing your work for two hours and just being totally engrossed in it. That's because What's you've that? trained. Yeah. You've trained your awareness. You get locked in and you can go. Um, and so mental fitness can be trained in a lot of different ways, push back on anxiety, depression, rumination. It changes blood biomarkers for stress. It's amazing. And I'll tie in the last piece, which is community. Fostering healthy relationships, the research demonstrates it creates a buffer against poor physical and mental health outcomes. Um, there was new research that came out of the University of Kansas, I think it's like four months ago, that demonstrates that just one meaningful conversation a day. One meaningful conversation a day boosts your mood, lowers stress, and enhances social connectedness significantly just a one meaningful conversation day. And guess what? Digital communication does not count. It was significantly less effective.
0: The pandemic's probably proven that to be true. This was
1: all done during the pandemic. A lot of the research that's coming out right now, because this is how scientific literature works is you're getting all, we're starting to learn all the negative side effects. And then what happened to people that stay connected, which is like, a great randomized control trial uh in an awful situation. Uh also there was a study done with 5400 people over 18 years that found that regular attendance in a faith community in- reduced all-cause mortality by 55%. So well, no matter Amen. what your whatever faith you are, you know, that's that's your thing, but why is that? Well, there's a number of things. One, you're connected to people and if it's done right, you're sharing burdens, you're praying for each other, you're caring, you're linked arm and arm. Um, and also, you know, for me, my Christian faith, like it makes me realize that, hey, it's not all on me. <laughs> like, like, there's yeah. there's there's a higher power that's in charge here. Um, and so those five things um, are what build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost over time. Um, man, that, that is
0: so good for, from top to bottom. Um, I, I could literally talk to you all day. This <laughs> is, this stuff is so good. Like for the guy listening, that's just like, man, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. Yeah. I think we would all default. Yes. On that. Right. Well, yeah. these are the things we need to prioritize. This is like, this is how you build the capacity to mm. be better in those roles. You're going to handle those situations better when, I mean, for lack of a better way of putting it, shit's hitting the fan in your house and you got mm-hmm. babies crying and kids fighting and, you know, you're trying to get everybody packed and ready for the door. How are you going to handle that situation? How long's that fuse? Are you going to be prepared and ready for it? Mm -hmm. Um, I see this as the, like, it's the practical preparation for it to make sure that you are ready for those, uh, Mm -hmm. for that and everything else that life's going to throw at you day by day. Um, you know, as the Bible says to who much is given much will be required. I think we can all bank on the fact that much is going to be required from us. And I think this really allows us to, to, to be ready to, to handle it, man. I, I can't thank you enough for making the time. Like I said, could talk to you all day. I could talk to you about like your (laughs) faith and could go into that all day. Like might have to do a part two at some time, but man, Absolutely. so pumped to, to have had the opportunity to have you on here, to learn from you, to share this, man, this is going to help a lot of people. I'm really excited.
1: Well, thank you, Brendan. I appreciate the opportunity to come on.
0: Yeah. All right, brother. Well, uh, we'll link everything up in the show notes. We'll link everything on how they can get involved uh, with you and your company and, and your app. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us where, where is the best place for people to go? We'll link it all up. But why don't you tell us?
1: Yeah, uh, Eric Corum uh, on all major social media accounts. And then I would just say like um, my company, AIM7, we built a technology that does all of these things in an app. And we leverage your wearable data to deliver these personalized recommendations and solutions. And I don't know when this is going to air, but we launched in the App Store on August 28th. And um, if this has been three years of of a journey to build this and deploy it. And um, we actually deployed this to about 500 people over the past six months. And the average person in their first 30 days that used AIM-7 to build adaptive capacity is seeing like almost a 20% increase in their motivation, 15% less stress, they're sleeping better. Um, And so I'll tell you what I'll do. If anybody that's um, listening to this today, uh, I'll give them 25% off their first month if they want to give it a try. There's a seven-day free trial, but uh, we also have a really cool community in there and every other week I bring on experts, some of which I've talked about today and we do education and you get access to kind of this master class because we believe life together is better than life alone. And so, yeah, that, that's, I'd say the two places you can find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm really active. And then the AIM7 app. I also have a podcast called The Blueprint and it's short, fifteen-minute episodes. It's very tactical on healthy living and leading yourself and different life skills. Awesome, man. We will we'll link it all up.
0: Really appreciate that awesome offer for our listeners yeah. as well. And we'll make sure to drop this uh, after the twenty eighth, so that when everybody hears this, then go get it, man. Then go get involved.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you. All
0: right, brother. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch. Hey. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the show. And thank you for sticking around till the very end. If you enjoyed what you heard today, then do me a favor, subscribe to the show. I don't want you to miss some of the unbelievable guests that we have rolling out here on the show over the next couple of weeks. So hit that subscribe button. And until next time, remember to love and lead from the front. See ya.